Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. All right, welcome again to the Defender Bible Study. This is Rick Morton, and we're going to be continuing our study through the book of Genesis. Today, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and following, all the way through the end of, uh, of tap, chapter 2 of Genesis. And so last week, um, we began our study into the book of Genesis. Herbie uh, led us through the, the first half and the first part of uh, Genesis 1 and, and the six days of creation and talked about um, God's activity in creation. And so today we're going to kind of get to that focal point where um, we talk about God's creation of man, his creation of people and and those things that we begin to to understand from Genesis 1 and beyond about, about the nature of people. And so uh, beginning of verse 26, um, Moses writes when he when he talks about the the, the creation story, he, he he begins and says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so then verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, uh, he created them. And so a ton that's packed up in these first couple of verses of this chapter. And so we want to camp out here for just a second. Um, several things that we want to pay attention to um, that are in these verses. The very first thing is that that God said, uh, let us make man in our image. Now, we, we know that we believe that there is only one true God, right? But that one true God um, is is three persons. And so the, the essence of the Trinity is actually represented right here uh, in, in Genesis chapter 1. And so, and so God being one God of, of one essence in three persons, we see um, the creative activity of all of the persons of the Godhead. We, we see that right there in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God um, was hovering over uh, the face of the waters. And then in verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light. And so don't miss that we see all three persons of the Trinity right here in the first three verses of Genesis, that in the beginning, God, God the Father, um, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters, the Holy Spirit, and we see then also uh, the Word of God. And God said, let there be light. Um, Jesus um, talks about himself in terms of being the, the, the Word of God and, and the Word ultimately being made flesh. And so... Um, so there's some really incredibly important things that we see about the Trinity that, that come to bear right here in this very first, um, you know, beginning part of the, the book of Genesis. One of the things that we know about God and, and about the Trinity is that God is ultimately um, the perfect relationship within himself, that there's perfect unity, um, that there's perfect alignment, that within the persons of the Godhead, that there's there's no there's no. Uh, there's no barrier. There's no difference. There's no change in essence, and and that and that ultimately God demonstrates something about Himself um, 
in the fact that he's created us to be um, relational beings. And so this idea of let us make man in our image, being created in the Imago Dei, being created in the image of God, one of the things that, that is that where we bear the image of God is the fact that we are relational beings that are that are in that are invested with personhood um, and that as persons we are able to be we're able to be personal. And so something that sets apart um, human beings in, you know, from all of creation is this idea of being created in the image of God, but also being created in um, being created as a person. Uh, our family, one of the things that's kind of funny, I think about our household, and, and some of you may do this as well, um, we love our dogs. Our dogs are a big part of our lives, and, and we, um, you know, we, we, cherish them we have fun with them and all but but I we're also guilty of like sometimes talking for our dogs you know like giving them a voice giving them emotions giving them feelings giving them like we interpret their their looks and their actions and their behaviors but here's the thing about our dogs that we know that our dogs are not persons um they don't have personal qualities. They don't. They don't. Uh, they weren't created in a way that they're able to relate to God and to relate to others as as persons. There's nothing personal about them. They're instinctive. They respond. It's not to say that they don't even have feelings on some level, but they ultimately are not persons and personal. And what sets us apart as human beings, um, what what is what's unique and what's different, but what also what's also special about us is that we are we are persons we are people who are created ultimately to reflect in in great essence um, our creator so why is it that that we believe that that we're supposed to protect life why is it that we defend life why do we even call this the defender bible study and why do we do the defender podcast why is lifeline so um you know, so caught up in uh, this idea of defending life. The reason is because we believe that as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been given a ministry um, to to protect life, to protect persons, because people are created in the image of God. Second thing that we see in verse 28 is it's, uh, it says that God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the, every living thing that moves on the earth. And, and so we see then, you know, right here in verse 28, the next thing is, is that part, part of being the people that God's created is that he's created human beings um, to have dominion over the earth and to subdue it. That, that ultimately we've been given a stewardship to care for and to take care of and, and to use for God's glory uh, the world that God has, has created. And so that dominion doesn't mean that we're supposed to abuse the, the, the world. We're supposed to abuse the earth. We're supposed to we're supposed to take from it or pillage it. What it means is that we're supposed to take care of what it is that God has entrusted to us. And, and so uh, so we're to we're not to worship uh, the world. We're not to worship the the earth. We're not to worship um, the created. But ultimately, we're to praise the Creator by the way that we take care of the creation. Um, and and then God says, "Behold, I've given you every uh, plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and all the earth, and every tree with seed uh, in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food." And so, in other words. 
um, like there's that that there is a there is a cycle of life. There there are things that are born ultimately to die. Plants and in an original you know in God's original design that there were there were fruit bearing uh, plants and and there are fruit bearing trees and everything that bears seeds and reproduces that it was God's intent that those things um, would would be provided for our renewal. Um, one of the things I, th- I think that we, you know, we want to see as we as we delve into the rest of kind of the end of Genesis one, and, and as we look at, at Genesis two, is that 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 God's plan to steward over and and to take d- dominion over um, the world and and to be God's steward of the world um, is a plan that involves it involves work, it involves care, it involves um, it involves effort. We'll see that a little bit more here as we kind of dig into um, chapter two. But I think one of the things sometimes we get we get sort of confused theologically is that we believe that the reason that we work is because of the curse of the fall. Um, and that's not that's not what the Bible says at all. Ultimately, you will see when we get over in Genesis chapter three that that ultimately that that we will like the toil of our work, the frustration of our work the 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 difficulty of our work in in many cases is is because of the curse that that we you know that that we will have to to eat the plants of the field and by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread it says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 19 till you return to the ground and out of it you were taken for for you are dust and to dust you shall return in other words we think that work is a curse no ultimately work is part of God's design it's part of God's blessing um hard work, difficult work, work that fails and, and, and work that ultimately doesn't bring a return is, is work that, that involves sin and is, is a result of the curse. And so part of what we see in, in Genesis 1 and 2 is that God designed the world in such a way that we're supposed to work and tend it and steward over it and, and provide for it. Now, when we continue um, in, in Genesis uh, chapter 1, one of the other things that we that we see and, and we don't want to miss here is that um, that in verse 27 it says so God created man in his own image and in in the image of God he created him male and female he created them and so something we can't run away from and something that we can't reinterpret is the fact that God has a creative intent um, and that God created men and women ultimately by his design for his glory um, and and I think you know today we live in a world where um, the concept of of gender, the concept of biological sex, is confused, and we you know we see the the ideas of things like a, a person living with a um, w- with a with a gender identity that's different than their biological sex, and 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 here's the thing that's not real. Um, that that God says that he's that he created male he created men that he created women that the that the identity of being male and female are ultimately something that were that were created by God and, and that categorically um, that that creation is is binary when it comes to when it comes to gender and when it comes to biological sex um, and that we live in a world today I think where um, 
where people want to be uh, want to be given permission to live according to the way that they feel. And so a lot of the narrative today that 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 is around us is that I feel like something. I feel like a man trapped in a woman's body or I feel like a woman trapped in a man's body. Um, I feel like I'm attracted to uh, a gender uh, that is that is that is that is mine. I, I feel I feel I feel I feel, and and the truth is that the 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 message of the Bible overwhelmingly is that that we are we're sinful we're broken we're going to see that as we as we get into Genesis chapter three the story of the rest of the book of Genesis is is the people created by God and ultimately the people identified by God how they walk out dealing with brokenness and sinfulness in their own lives and how they deal with brokenness and sinfulness in a world that isn't as God created it to be and and folks I, I think we can we can understand that part of living in a world that is that is broken and part of living in a world um, that is that is tainted and bent and part of being people that continue to be challenged by our own personal sin is that our feelings will betray us. That there are things that feel right to us that are wrong. There are things that that feel right to us that are contrary to the Word of God. Um, there are things that feel right to us that are contrary to the revealed will of God. And that part of what Genesis um, chapters 1 and 2, like the beginning of the creation story, point us to is the fact that we... Um, we can't always trust our feelings, but ultimately we can trust the creator who, who created an order and, and created a purpose for all things. And that ultimately all of creation, um, everything that's been created was created ultimately to testify to the glory of God and to point to, uh, to his majesty and to point to aspects of him. And, and so when we begin to reinterpret the created order, what we're doing is we're basically then reinterpreting the creator, which we don't have, um, we, we don't really have permission to do. And we don't sit in a seat where we actually can do that because we're limited and we're fallible and we're ultimately not able to see things as God sees things. And so part of our, part of our trust and part of our faith is putting our trust in the fact that God is creator knows best and that God has, has ultimately put a set of circumstances together and has created a narrative for history that ultimately will uh, will bring him glory, that ultimately will put his, his character and his person on display, and that when we live in ways that are consistent with that, ultimately that we're going to find peace and happiness and, 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 and ultimately that we're going to find fulfillment, not because even our circumstances always change or become different, but we're going to find peace and contentment because we're going to find our rest rest um, ultimately in God and that 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 we have the assurance that that's true because Jesus did the work that was necessary in order to bring us to the Father to atone for our sins and that's the story of the gospel and so then we we see the um, as we turn over into to chapter 2 we see that um, we see the end of uh, the creation narrative. And so then we get to the seventh day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them in verse one. And then on, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from his work that he had done so that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so 
So we see the end of this kind of first telling of the creation story. We see another one that comes up right after it in in uh, Genesis chapter two. But um, but right here in Genesis chapter two, right at the beginning, what we see is um, is ultimately a um, that God rested on the seventh day. Um, and I and I think what we learn is that people that are created in the image of God that that God created in six days and He rested on the seventh because because creation needs rest, um, and and that that ultimately you know we see elsewhere and and the and the 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 case that's made um, in the scriptures is that that. Um, that man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Why? Because God knows that we're limited. God knows that we need to acknowledge that we that we have limitations. I've heard it said that, that, that there's sometimes no more state that we're in which we're more worshipful than than when we're asleep. Because when we're asleep, we're acknowledging that we're not in control and that there's nothing that we can do. And we've surrendered to the need to rest. And that acknowledges that God is different than we are because he doesn't need to rest. So God didn't sit down and rest on the seventh day because he was tired. Um, he, he sat down and rested because he was done, because because creation was complete, because it was all that it needed to be, and and that it was good. And and we see that over, you know, over and over and over stated through the days of creation that God recognized the creation as being good, that it was complete. But on the seventh day, God makes the ultimate statement to say that he that he he sits down and he rests. Why? because because he was done because the creation was complete and so you and i um need to set aside a day a sabbath why not because um not because of any other reason than because we because we respect god because we recognize his holiness because we because we want to follow and we want to pattern our lives after him but we also want to acknowledge that we need to rest and so this is kind of a convicting thing that I think we've, you know, we've looked at uh, the Sabbath. We've looked at Sunday in in the, the course of our normal Christian calendar as being that day um, that we do all those things that we can't do all those other days. And, and in many ways, we've probably made it as busy um, or busier than than some of the days that that we that we work during the week. And 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 the truth is that God wants us to set aside a Sabbath to rest, to be able to focus on Him, but also to be able to worship Him by by acknowledging that we aren't Him and that we need rest. So then we see again there's a there's an amplified um, story of of creation that we see again about about the creation of man and woman, and that starts in Genesis two chapter four. And it says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. It says, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in, in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant in the sight and pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree, tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is is 
Pishon, the, it is the, the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah. There's, there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedillium and onyx stone are there, and the name of the second river is Gihon. This is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush, and the name of the third river is, is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. And so God, God essentially planted this or, or created this beautiful garden. He put Adam in the middle of it. Um, he, he, he caused plants to spring up. Um, he, he, he created the conditions. God gave um, a, li a living, thriving world uh, for Adam to be in with these beautiful rivers and, and with, this, with this incredible ecosystem that Adam got the opportunity to work to, to look over. And it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded him, saying, You, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat you shall surely die. And so the thing I want you to see here is, is that, that God placed Adam in the garden and, and then he commanded him to work it and keep it. And, and so ultimately God gave Adam good work to do. He gave him something to, 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 to do. It wasn't busy work. It wasn't something just cute to keep Adam preoccupied. It wasn't, it, it was ultimately, he gave Adam a vital role to play in order to to steward over and to watch over and and to tend to everything that God had created. Later we see in the next set of verses that that we see about the the animal kingdom and it says first it says that the Lord God said it is not good the man should be alone I will make I will make him a helper fit for him. And it says, now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So again, God gave Adam the, the, the responsibility to subdue the world and to, to, to have dominion over it. He gave him the opportunity to name all of the animals and, and, and that ultimately that there was relationship going on between God and um and, and Adam at this point, they were fellowshipping over um, this naming of the animals as God brought them and as Adam named them and as he brought structure around the world um, and, and as he lived into um, that using that creative side of himself to mirror God, the creator. So don't don't miss the fact that that here when Adam's figuring out how to tend to the to the plants and he's figuring out how to name the animals that Adam is being creative. That, it, that he's taking what he has and, and he's using it using it to to, to produce um, things and, and to produce conditions which are ultimately living out God's call um, and, and living out God's purpose for him that he's subduing and taking dominion over the earth. But when he's doing that, he's reflecting the fact that he was made by a God who is a creator and that Adam has the spark of creativity, which is a which is which is a whole lot like God the Father, um, and, and is a reflection of Him. And so it says, the man gave names names to all the livestock and to the birds and the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, um, took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh, and that and and the rib that was 
that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And then the man said, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. So ton that we could dig into and and wrestle with there. But what, what we understand is that God understood that he had created Adam for a relationship and that, and that Adam, Adam not only needed the relation, the, the opportunity to relate to him uh, as, as creator and as sovereign, but he also needed the opportunity to relate to another. And so God created Eve. Um, he created his helpmeet. He created his companion. He created his beloved, um, and then we see this this thing that where where we see the you know kind of the first the first marriage and the first uh, the first family being born here, and that um, that ultimately it says you know that uh, that they will they will come together that the that a, that a man shall leave his father and mother and that's obviously talking about the future because because there's no father and mother here right like this is this is god creating out of nothing and making man out of nothing and making woman out of man that uh, that you have these these first parents Adam and Eve that are that are being created by God, but that, that they're going to start something that's normative for the rest of the world. And that is that men and women would come together um, to be married, to to live in intimacy. And ultimately, we see that talking about this, uh, the one flesh union, this idea that a, that a husband and wife, a man and wife will come and they will become one flesh. And Ultimately, we, you know, we run to sexuality when we kind of think about that, but that's not the only thing that's really being talked about or even implied here. Um, part of what we see right here at the end of, of Genesis chapter two is, is this idea that God's created a relationship here where a man and a woman are going to come together and it's, and it's, and it's supposed to be a man and a woman. It's not, it's not two men. It's not two women. And, and I'm, you know, this is, this is the Bible. This is what the word of God says about the process that God um, brought into being and about what we're supposed to do in order to be able to reflect his created order. And so marriage is supposed to be about a man and a woman who come together and have an intimacy of life that not only involves sexuality, but it also involves conversation and it involves life plans and it involves subduing the, the world. It, it, it involves work. It involves um, family. It involves children. It involves, it involves everything that we do that we're to have in common and, and to live and to have, have a, a, a degree of intimacy with our spouse that's different than, than any relationship that we have with anybody in the world. And ultimately, why are we supposed to do that? We're supposed to do it because Paul tells us over in Ephesians chapter 5 that the way that we relate to each other as husband and wife teaches the world about who 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 Christ is and ultimately teaches them about his church. That God was setting something into the fabric of the world in the very beginning in Genesis 1 that he was conserving to tell the world about who Jesus is and ultimately to point toward the gospel in Ephesians 5 and, and in, in the New Testament under the, under the New Covenant. And so folks, I, I would tell you today that I think the reason that we see um, human sexuality and gender under attack is because because ultimately Satan wants to do anything and wants to use people um, to, to to mar the image of God 
And that ultimately the reason that we see challenges coming against marriage and, and, and we see the, the traditional view of, of marriage um, being under great challenge and ultimately having, having been, you know, kind of broken and turned asunder in our culture is because it's such a powerful example of Christ and his church and it says so much about the gospel. So if Satan can create a world where people don't understand marriage in terms of God, where people don't understand marriage in terms of what it points to in the character of God, when people don't see reflections of the created order and, and ultimately the heart of God around them because they see this being worked out in Christian marriages, then folks, Satan has created a world where people are less and less likely to be able to, to see Jesus and they're ultimately less and less likely um, to be drawn to respond to him. And, and so I think that what it, what it says for us is that's why we press in. That's why, that's why we press into marriage. That's why we believe in marriage. That's why we, um, that, that's, that's, that's why we affirm men and women joining together. That's why, um, that's why we believe that homes with a, with a mom and a dad who follow Jesus are the right place for kids that are in, in foster care to go while, while they're in temporary care. That's why we believe that adoption is, is a, is a good thing to give kids a permanency in homes where, where they're going to see the gospel reflected in the relationship between a husband and a wife. That's why we believe in family strengthening and we believe that the gospel is the hope of families that have been torn apart and, and, are, and are estranged in the foster care system. And that's why we believe the gospel has an opportunity to be able to put that back together. Ultimately, because, because marriage and then, and then ultimately the re resulting family is such a powerful picture of who God is and there's so much of God's heart that, that's, that's tied up in the institution of marriage. So I hope this has been helpful to you today to go through and exposit Genesis 1 and 2 a little bit and to, and to look at the reasons why um, the, the created order in Genesis 1 and 2 is so important. We're going to continue to walk through uh, the rest of the book of Gen Genesis over um, kind of the ensuing weeks and months. And, and the reason we're doing that is because I think we, we live in a world that feels like it's changing every day. Um, but we want to stand on the bedrock of, of the fact that God and his creative intent hasn't changed. And so I hope you'll continue to come back and to join us for the Defender Bible Study um, and, 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 and to be part of uh, what we do as a Lifeline staff in order to, to, to remember and to hold ourselves accountable to God's word. Um, I, and, and we thank you for listening and, and for the opportunity to be able to be a part of this journey with you. If you want to know more about Lifeline and about who we are, um, you can reach out to us at, at lifelinechild.org or at sign lifeline on all the major social media platforms. Um, we thank you for your time today and look forward to seeing you back here next week as we continue our study um, in the book of Genesis. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.